Welcome to CBS Mornings. I'm Tony DeCopel. I'm Nate Burleson. And I'm Michelle Miller. Ahead on today's CBS Mornings on the go, I go one-on-one with two-time Super Bowl champ and MVP Patrick Mahomes. We'll talk about why he agreed to let cameras go behind the scenes of his life for the new Netflix docuseries Quarterback. And his wife Brittany joins the conversation to talk about what she's learned along the journey. Also, actor-turned-author Ben McKenzie is a leading cryptocurrency skeptic. Yes, that Ben McKenzie from the OC. He's here to discuss his new book and why he says cryptocurrency is a scam. And it's not too late to book a last-minute summer trip. The CEO of Expedia Group joins us to reveal a new program he says could save you some money. All that and more after these messages. Hey, hey, Prime members, talking to you. You can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We are again focused today on the war in Ukraine. couple points of context there. First, and for the second time, an attack has badly damaged Russia's vitally important bridge to Crimea, Crimea being the Ukrainian province that Russia illegally annexed back in 2014. Russia is blaming Ukraine for this bombing. It happened overnight, killed two people. Also, last week, the NATO summit, U.S. and other allies promised more military support for Ukraine. So they like that. With us now, first on CBS Mornings, is Ukraine's foreign minister. That's Dmitro Kuleba. Good morning, minister. Thank you very much for being here. I'll shake your hand. Uh, This bridge attack. Uh, Crimea is part of Ukraine before Russia annexed it. It would stand to reason in a war that you're behind the attack, your country. Is that true? Well, I learned about uh, the incident from the news because of the time difference. So I don't have any official information. But the truth is that one broken Russian bridge means fewer broken Ukrainian lives because this bridge is being used to supplement Russian army in the occupied Crimea and the occupied territories of the south of Ukraine with additional resources. Mm. We mentioned the NATO summit there at the end of the introduction. On the one hand, it was disappointing because there's no clear timeline for Ukraine's entry into NATO. On the other hand, the message was that the future for Ukraine is in NATO. So where are you on the question of that summit? Was it disappointing or something else? Well, uh, overall, the results of the summit were good because our path to NATO was shortened and we introduced a new mechanism, the NATO-Ukraine Council. But of course, we wanted more clarity on uh, when. The most important question is not how, it's when. And on that particular question, uh, there is no clear answer, but uh, we received very strong assurances, including from the U.S. leadership, that Ukraine will be NATO, and we will be working on making it rather sooner than later. On the question of when, it's open-ended, in part because you're engaged uh, in a war with Russia right now. Can you understand why leaders of countries in the West 
don't want to court open conflict with Russia. And if they were to include Ukraine in NATO right now, it would mean World War III today. Oh, that, that argument makes perfect sense. But the important element is that at that summit, we were not discussing immediate accession of Ukraine into NATO. We were talking about procedural extension of invitation with the understanding that Ukraine would become a member of NATO after the war ends. As of now, we're not dragging anyone into the war. We have a very clear deal offered to our partners. You give us weapons and we do the rest of the job so that you don't have to fight if Russia decides to move further and attack you. I think it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that Ukraine gives the world is grain, uh, which is helping to alleviate a global hunger crisis. As of today, this morning, I believe, Russia says it is suspending a deal that was allowing Ukraine to export uh, grain out of the Black Sea port uh, ways. What do you make of that suspension? What's it going to take to get those ports open again? Well, Russia has been slowly killing the grain initiative from one uh, extension to another. You have to know one number. Last year, when the grain, Black Sea Grain Initiative was introduced, grain prices in the world dropped by 20%. So the immediate outcome of non-suspension, non-extension of, uh, of the agreement will mean that uh, prices uh, for grain all across the globe will go up and uh, people in the most vulnerable regions of Asia, Africa, they will, they will feel it. Presumably and this is Russia. the result of Russian actions. Well, presumably Russia knows that, wants that outcome on some level for some reason. You know they're watching this as well. What's your message to Russia this morning? Stop playing hunger games with the people around the world. That's very simple because it's impossible to fully compensate the blockade of Ukrainian ports by inland uh, routes. So Russia is using hunger as an instrument to blackmail the world, pursuing its own commercial interests. Stop playing hunger games. Can you give the American people and the American political establishment a real honest gut check on how this war is going? Are you winning this war? We are. <laughs> That's it. We are. But you have to understand that for us, war is a reality. For others, it's a reality show. And of course, when you watch a reality show, you want things to develop very, uh, in a very, in, in a very fast, uh, fast track uh, manner. But for us, it's a daily struggle. But every day, we move forward. We make, we advance in the south, uh, we advance in the east. We solve problems created by the Russian, by the Russian aggression. One of the key and the most devastating issues is, of course. 19, more than 19,000 of Ukrainian kids being deported and abducted by Russia. 494 Ukrainian kids had been killed as in, in, the, in the course of this war. So there are tons of issues that you need to solve, and it takes time. And Minister, that's why there's support among the American people for aid to Ukraine, military and otherwise. In, on the Republican side, politically, the two leading candidates for the Republican nomination for president, these are people who could be president in, in 2025, are not staunch supporters of unending aid for Ukraine. It's not clear exactly what their policy would be, but it's not assured as it would be under the current administration. What's your message to those candidates and others who might pull funding? Well, first, I want to thank the people of America for their support, because we feel it, not only in the decisions that the Congress and the administration are making, but also in the way American people sympathize Ukrainians and wish them uh, to win in this war and to end this suffering. When it comes to your elections, I mean, this is your internal affair, but 
However, but our traditional support here is based on bipartisan uh, principle. So both Republicans and Democrats support us, and I'm sure that the, the, the Republicans will find a way to convince their president, if he wins, uh, to continue with uh, the policy of supporting Ukraine. All right, that makes one of us. Uh, Dmitry Kalebo, thank you very much, Minister, for being here. Appreciate your words. Everywhere. You haven't been everywhere. That's why you got Expedia, one of the country's most popular travel platforms. The Expedia Group is launching a new loyalty program, and it starts today. We're going to tell you about it. It's called One Key, and it combines the company's three flagship brands into one free and flexible program. So travelers can now earn rewards on a flight booked with Expedia and then use those very same rewards to get savings on a Hotels.com booking or a Verbo vacation rental. The CEO of Expedia Group, Peter Curran, joins us now. Peter, thank you very much for being here. Good to be here. Uh, I've been using Verbo without calling it Verbo. So I was today years old when I learned out <laughs> it's not right. VRBO. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, we, right now. I've learned something today. Uh, why announce this now? Well, we think it's a hugely exciting program. I mean, it's the first time we've been able to bring our biggest brands together under one loyalty program, which is the biggest, most flexible loyalty program in travel. And it's really unusual to be able to First of all, get all these things in one place and then be able to earn rewards, use those rewards. And those rewards are going to be really simple. They're basically going to be like money. You don't have to get to 10,000 points or whatever. You just get them. You, you, know, you stay in a Verbo, Tony, and you want to use that for your next flight, your next hotel stay with your family, whatever. You can go use that, save money, get more value out of our program. So it, it, it's, it's in the U.S. live now. Yeah. And then in 2024... We're going going out to the rest of the world. So we're all over the globe uh, with many, many of our brands. Of course. And, uh, but U.S. was our first starting point. It, it took a lot to bring this program together. And it's, U.S. is our home, and we wanted to launch here. Uh, but it's really a, a, a great moment because, first of all, there's never been rewards for vacation rentals anywhere. So mm. now you can get those on Verbo, which is a great program. Uh, you get rewards with us, but you also get them with the airlines, with the cruise companies, with the car companies. So you're not choosing us or somebody else. We're just helping you get more out of the program. It's just one key to unlock everything. One yeah. key, that's it. I get it. Figured it out in I, I, one. I'm there picking up what you're putting down. <laughs> I, I love that it's free. <laughs> Can we talk about free? Yeah, free. <laughs> but, you know, a, a lot of travelers have been having a lot of problems with mm. all the flight cancellations, yeah, the yeah. weather. How is one key helping in that aspect? How are you helping folks save money? when they, they're down and out and, mm -hmm. and, and are in this misery. That yeah, so, I mean, look, there, there's different parts, right? The, the loyalty program's meant to reward you, find you savings. We have member discounts, other things in there that get you more value. We've saved our customers over $10 billion with our loyalty program since we started, and this is an even bigger program, but things go wrong in travel, and uh, we've invested a huge amount of money, particularly in the last few years, in service and service capabilities so that people can self-serve their problems, make it easier for them. Uh, you know, if a flight gets canceled, can you change it easily online and take right. care of it? All of those steps is where we put a lot of energy into technology. You know, we started the category and we keep innovating. So that's really how we try to help solve that for customers. And we want to be the one-stop shop to make it as easy as possible for consumers to really solve their problems when things go wrong. And they do sometimes. Yeah. One of the great things about the old days of travel agents is they would sometimes know you and suggest a place you want to go. And then Ooh. they would take care of all of it. You get a little envelope and would have tickets in it and everything like that. Yeah. Right. I, was, right. I was a little baby when this yeah. happened. But anyway, uh, I wonder, could I AI, remember you remember those days? Yeah, I wasn't a little baby. So I, I, I dream of those days I didn't have. Could ChatGPT, AI of some sort, kind of new technology, Ooh. make that possible through Expedia? 
Yeah, so we put ChatGPT into our app uh, this year. We were the first travel company to do it, and uh, it's a really interesting product. You can ask it questions. You can think about planning. You know, I, I want a hotel that's near the Empire State Building, et cetera. What's the weather like in June and wherever? Uh, but it's more than that, really. We, we're putting AI into our whole experience so that how you search, you know, if you like boutique hotels and Nate likes big luxury resorts, whatever, you know, we will get those to you first. We'll, we actually use it to sort pictures that are relevant to you. You know, if you're traveling with your kids, you might want to see the pools instead of the bar or whatever. So we use AI in the whole experience to try continually make it more personalized. And uh, we're on that journey. But ChatGPT is interesting. There's going to be other things that make it interesting. And I think different customers will like different pieces of it. But we're constantly trying to add new technology to make that a really personal experience and get you effectively to that place, Tony. But many customers really like to explore, right? Like we're not in the world anymore where it's like, tell me where to go and where to stay. I want to go look at things. I want to go compare things. And that's a big part of the experience yeah. too. Is that the vibe I'm giving you? Big luxury hotels? Big luxury, I felt. You're right. You're right. right. I mean, come on. I, mean, I get that, I that right here. He's right. I give off youth hostel. <laughs> you, no, 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 cool city hotels. I was feeling. That's, Peter Kern, thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. This morning, we are taking a look at the summer blues. Summertime is usually associated with uplifting things like warm weather and school vacations. Uh, it's kind of nice. No school vacations or no school. But it can also be a time of stress and seasonal depression. Research shows up to 20% of Americans experience a condition known as seasonal affective disorder in the summer. So what can you do to manage the summer stress? Dr. Sue Varma has some tips. She is a board-certified psychiatrist and clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at NYU. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, doctor, I, I have to say, I, I, I understand this very well because I've suffered from it. And you don't expect it to happen mm -hmm. to you in the moment. But not knowing that that's what I was, I was dealing with, one, mm -hmm. Uh, what is it specifically and what should you be looking out for? Yes. So when people typically think of seasonal affective disorder, they're thinking of the winter blues or winter depression. Mm. What they don't realize is that in the summertime, you can have what's called like this activation or irritability type of syndrome where instead of sleeping a lot or eating a lot, as people did in the winter blues or winter depression, we find that they are very activated, agitated. Sometimes the mood might be good. Sometimes they might be productive, but sometimes not. And it can be very um, uh, uh, jarring for people, especially those around you. Yeah, yes. you also say the stress can be tied to uh, the fear of missing out on all the activities other people are doing. I used to love living in San Francisco because it would be foggy for a portion of every mm -hmm. day, and you would like the bullying effect of sunshine, where you're like, <laughs> I have. I have work to do, but yes. you feel like everybody else is outside having a good time. Yes. Right. You know, summertime puts a lot of pressure on us to do what other people are doing or feeling like we should have planned something. And with all the uncertainty, economic problems that people are having, they're not wanting to spend a lot of money on vacations. And let, yet they're swiping through their feeds and they're seeing people traveling all over the place and oh, having a great time. Yeah. So you feel like there's, there's more pressure to do things. Plus, you've lost a lot of the um, built-in support systems that you might have had if you're a family of young children and you might have had um, child care during the year you don't have that now so there's more pressure to do things i didn't i didn't think about that the fear of missing mm -hmm. out is right at your fingertips mm -hmm. yes. in your face every single moment yes um that's a great point so so how do you manage 
this type of stress during yes. the summer? Or what type, what type of tips would you give to people? Yeah, so first thing I would say is be realistic, right, about what your expectations are for yourself, for other people. Managing expectations is a big part of it. Parking your perfectionism on the side and say, mm -hmm. you know what, good. Parking your perfectionism. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. and I would say that planning ahead, preparing. I always like to keep a little travel bag that has an extra set of toiletries, travel chargers, things like that. Um, doing a little bit day by day, with the, whether it's the laundry, preparing kids for camp, um, getting those lists ahead of time but also leaning into the beauty of summer. Look, for, for a lot of people, heat can be um, very difficult. People who are elderly, extremes of age, people with medical problems. We know that suicide rates go up in the summertime because of the agitation, the irritability, the insomnia, the lack of sleep wow. for people who it's have history. It's a very consistent finding. It's always surprising to hear, but it's true. Yes. Yeah. yes. So obviously getting help if you need it, right? Professional help, seeking counseling, medication. A lot of times people with the seasonal affective disorder might have a history of um, or personal history or family history of bipolar disorder. So getting help and at the same time leaning into the beauty of summer, parks, um, walking in the sun, um, and grounding, forest, and mm. water. Nature. Nature. Yeah, all of that, Nature. which I do. I, I tell you, it's you have something you call the martyr complex. Explain that for us. Yes, so the martyr complex is this idea of resenting other people for choices that you make. There's a victimhood <laughs> involved. There is people-pleasing. There is self-sacrificing that I'm overextending myself, and I'm doing this because I want to be a martyr. I want to get, um, get complimented for it, and I want to get noticed for it. And I would say, like, decrease that a little bit. Yeah. Ask yourself, check yourself and say, who am I doing this for? What are the accolades? Ooh. Is anyone really appreciating what yeah. I'm doing? Does it have to be a homemade meal? Does it have to be a seven course meal? Yeah. Why and for who? But if, you, if, if you're speaking to my spirit right now, well, dog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, if, but if you're not the martyr and you say, stop being a martyr to yeah, your family member, you it's an that. argument. You can't say oh, that. No, the martyr has to see that. the graphic themselves. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for creating that distinction. Yes. <laughs> I feel you though. I know what I'm you're saying. I may or may not know. It's not Katie, by the way. But Everything all right at home? No, it's yes. not Katie. Okay, no. <laughs> not Katie. You, you show your gratitude, you show your appreciation for the martyr, and, you, and, 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 and just be very kind and say, no, you're coming from a loving place. I know you want to take care of us. And you say breathe. Yes. Just breathe. Yes, mm. just breathe. Sounds so simple. If we have a second, I'd love to do it with you right now. I'd say close your eyes, inhaling to the count of five, count it, maintaining it, and then exhaling to the count of five. Oh, I love it. Dr. Sue Varma, always giving us good Dropping advice. Knowledge. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And we will be right back. Breathing in, breathing, breathing out. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? 
If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to CBS Mornings. It's time to bring you some of the stories that are the talk of the table this morning. Michelle, you're going to kick it off for us. I'm in the line of fire. My talk of the table is what many people on social media are calling the best proposal ever. I are. Okay. Here's what happened. The groom-to-be asked his girlfriend's father for her hand and recorded the response. Then this happened before the father died, just days before the groom was planning to propose. So the guy surprised his fiance with a familiar voice before going down on one knee. Son, you've got my permission as much as I can give it to you in the short time I have left on this earth. I know you love Emily and I know you'll, you'll take care of her. God bless you and you have my blessing, son. The bride-to-be somehow was able to say yes through all those tears. Can you imagine hearing that f- familiar voice? Mm. I, I just, it just, it brings back, it brings back actually a really hilarious um, proposal that when my father, when my husband was asking my father on uh-huh. his deathbed if he could marry me, and my father looked at him and said, you know, I think you're a nice young man. If you don't like her, don't beat her. Just send her back home. Jeez. My mouth fell to the floor, Whoa. and then my dad it. looks at me and says, and you, don't mess it up. Oh. He didn't say mess. Ooh. I could not believe Man of choice words. Yes, yes. But, it, I mean, I've heard so many stories. I go to find out that my father had actually heard my grandfather say that. He was waiting uh, 50 years to tell that Pass story. that down. And for more, you can read about it in Michelle's book, <laughs> Belonging, <laughs> a best-selling memoir. <laughs> You are so good. For the complete so good. So good what a plug. For the complete context. Hilarious. All right, what do you got, Tom? Uh, my talk at the table. Uh, so what happened in uh, a suburb of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, a person moved away, and they had been breeding rabbits in their backyard, and they didn't want to take the rabbits with them, so they just opened the cages. And there's a thing about rabbits that you should know. They... Um, they reproduce rapidly. And so now this uh, community of Wilton Manors, Fort Lauderdale, has 100 lion head rabbits hoppity hopping around. Some people are feeding them. Aww. Other people think they're a menace. They chew up wires. Uh, you know, they do their thing everywhere, which is unsightly. People step in it. Um, and so now they're trying to raise uh, up to $40,000 to go around and capture, rescue, and move these rabbits, maybe spay and neuter these rabbits, because in the meantime, get this, uh, a, a female lionhead rabbit has two to six bunnies every month. Oh. Yeah, every month. Oh, they get it in. <laughs> they get oh. What? Like rabbits. <laughs> as easy as it gets. Well, well, maybe the, the, but, the pythons can take care of the rabbits. Is Florida a real place? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every day I there's know, something going on. I know. There. It's all invasive. Shout out to everybody in Florida. <laughs> Say that with love. 
all right, so my talk at the table is the Powerball jackpot. And now it's estimated worth $900 million. Okay, so no one matched all six numbers since April. That makes tonight's drawing the third biggest Powerball jackpot ever and the seventh largest in U.S. history. The odds of winning, according to lottery officials, are 1 in 292,201,338. So the question is, are you going to play? A lot of. Of course. You're playing? Play. I'm putting all my money into cryptocurrency. I hear it's a really hot, hot <laughs> investment. You know what? <laughs> and that's why we love Tony here. He is so darn good at his job, and what a segue that is. And we turn now to a new project from actor Ben McKenzie, who you may remember played Ryan Atwood on the hit show The OC. Now, he has shifted his talents to investigative journalism. As the Washington Post put it, McKinsey has become one of the crypto industry's unlikely but most prominent critics. Over the past two years, he has watched cryptocurrency prices skyrocket, like we all have, and fall, and seen key industry CEOs and companies face trials and investigative scrutiny. In testimony to the Senate Banking Committee in December, McKinsey said he believes the trillion-dollar industry is all a scam. In my opinion... The cryptocurrency industry represents the largest Ponzi scheme in history. In fact, by the time the dust settles, crypto may well represent a fraud at least 10 times bigger than Madoff. Ooh, strong words. McKinsey's new book, written with journalist Jacob Silverman, is called Easy Money, Cryptocurrency, Casino Capitalism, and the Golden Age of Fraud. Ben McKenzie, good morning. How are you doing? I am well. How are you, sir? Good. I'm good. Thank you for joining us. We're all big fans, yeah. but I'm even bigger fans of your latest work. So how did you become interested in investigating cryptocurrency? Well, like most people, uh, a buddy of mine just said I should buy crypto. Um, the problem was this buddy, who's been an old, old friend, he gave me the worst financial advice of my life when I was in my 20s. <laughs> and you remember it. Yeah, I remembered it. And I love him. Dave, if you're out there, sorry to out you on CBS News. But um, he said, you know, you should buy Bitcoin. Well, I have a, uh, I have a degree in economics. And I, I was tempted. You know, I had FOMO. I saw all these knuckleheads getting rich on this stuff. And I thought, well, what is this cryptocurrency stuff? The first thing I bumped up against is that these aren't currencies. They're not money because you can't use them like money. And people were investing in them rather than trying to use them like money. That was a big tell for me. So I started looking into it. Um, after a few months, I felt like this might be a massive fraudulent scheme. Hmm. Um, and I reached out to a journalist, Jacob Silverman. We started reporting on it. Um, I went to the Bitcoin conference in Miami, the biggest conference in the world. I interviewed people there. I interviewed Sam Bankman-Fried, now indicted for fraud. Uh, I went to El Salvador. Uh, it's been quite an adventure. So yeah. after that conference, th there wasn't any um, clarification in the direction of leaning more towards crypto, or was it confirmation of what you had already thought cryptocurrency is? Well, we have to separate what people want crypto to be. Crypto, at the end of the day, is really just a story, mm -hmm. or rather a collection of stories. People want it to be this emancipatory form of currency. Not tied uh, to a state or a government. Mm -hmm. Right. Independent. And it's all effectively, the story is so uh, effective because we all agree on the premise that our current financial system is deeply flawed. And so that lends the story of cryptocurrency a lot of power. But it doesn't make the story of cryptocurrency true. 
And so I, when I was interviewing regular people, they all had all of these different ideas of what crypto was going to do for them. And that was totally understandable. I mean, most of it was to make money. Um, but when you interview the key players, which I did, Sam Bankman-Fried before he was indicted, right. Alex Mashensky, who was arrested last Thursday and charged with fraud, um, when you interview the key players, you see a different side. Hmm. It, it, must, it must be kind of cool, though, to, to have seen this um, from, the, from the onset. First of all, I love the chapters in your book, Money in Line, What Could Possibly Go Wrong? The Business of Shell, The World's Coolest Dictator. I, I, ju I just think about how deeply you dug in, and yet you admit you still didn't get it. It's, it, I don't get it either. It's not rooted. It's not. It's not a thing. It's right. not like if you buy a stock, it represents a company. If you buy a bond, you've got debt on, on somebody. Yeah. Right? Right. If you invest in grain futures, like there is a farm somewhere making grain. Like, what is crypto actually rooted in or on? Mm. Nothing. Mm. It's a story. I mean, these are bits of computer code that are uncorrelated with any real-world asset. To your point, if they're an investment, they're an investment in what exactly? And the reason that I use the word Ponzi scheme in front of the Senate is that an investment scheme without value is a Ponzi scheme. I mean, that's the definition, and Ponzi schemes are regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission. So in my opinion, the cryptocurrency industry does represent the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Uh, the cryptocurrency industry has furnished a statement yes. to us, which I will read in part here. This is the American Blockchain and Cryptocurrency Association. They say, quote, crypto is not a Ponzi scheme. As with any new technology or financial instrument, some bad actors have utilized cryptocurrency to commit fraud. This is no different than the Nigerian prince emails when the internet started. That's what they say. Right, so let's talk about a couple things. This is not a new technology. Blockchain technology is over 30 years old. It goes back to at least 1991 when Stuart Haber and Scott Stornetta, working at Bell Labs, building off the work of cryptographers such as David Chom, built a blockchain, which is just a distributed ledger. I have nothing against blockchain. It's just a ledger. It's just a way of storing information. But if you use it to facilitate crime, that's a problem. Um, the cryptocurrency industry would like us to believe that it's in its early days, that you know the best days are still to come. It's still adapting. Yeah. Right, it's still changing. But the truth is it's predicated on false ideas. If cryptocurrency were to become currency, it's not issued by the state, right? So what is it? That would be private money. We've actually tried private money. Uh, we tried it in the free banking era of the 19th century, 1837 to 1863. It was a failure. Uh. It was a failure in part due to fraud. So one of the many ironies of cryptocurrency is that it is not, in fact, the future of money. It is the past. So if you're an American sitting at home and you own cryptocurrency, and there are millions of those Americans, many of those viewers yeah. right now, yeah. what's your advice to them? I am not here to offer financial advice. Mm. I am not a licensed financial advisor. Many of my celebrity uh, colleagues have effectively offered financial advice. That is and they've said job. buy. You're saying the They opposite. said buy. I'm right. the celebrity who said, be careful. Read my book. Yeah. All right, be careful. Thank you. Ben McKenzie, thank you so much. Easy money, cryptocurrency, casino capitalism, and the golden age of fraud goes on sale tomorrow. Make sure you grab it if you're interested. Exclusive conversation with the NFL's reigning MVP of the regular season and the Super Bowl quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. The Kansas City Chiefs star has already won two Super Bowl rings and two NFL Most Valuable Player Awards while breaking record after record after record. And he's only 27 years old. We recently met with Mahomes and his wife, Brittany, in Los Angeles at the premiere of the new Netflix docuseries, Quarterback. And we talked about football, family, and legacy. I want to start by genuinely asking, 
Like, how are you doing? I'm good, man. Obviously, the season was amazing. I uh, won the Super Bowl and all that. Um, but being a dad now of two um, and getting to enjoy that in the offseason, I think that's, that's been the best part. Um, Two-year-old and a six-month-old. So I'm in, I'm in the thick of things. How has being a dad changed your perspective on life and even the game? You enjoy the moments. And I think now having been able to go home and see my daughter um, and see my son, I have a better understanding of being present and enjoying it. That translates to the football field, and uh, we've been on a heck of a run, um, but I'm trying to enjoy those moments because I know that it doesn't last forever, even though we want it to. These days, it's hard to argue about who is the best player in the National Football League because Patrick Mahomes is making it easy for us. Do you think about legacy at this point, or are you still focused year by year? Um, it's a little bit of both. Um, I think if you, you play this position, you play this sport, you always want to think about your legacy a little bit and how you're perceived and how you can go out there and play the game. Um, but for me, I've always said, I, was, I just don't want to have any regrets. Get up in there! Get up in there! Hey! Hey! Which is in part what led Mahomes to the new Netflix reality series, Quarterback where cameras captured a trio of NFL QBs on an unfiltered journey through the 2022 season. I actually talked to Peyton about it for a while. What stuck with me is he said, at the end of my career, I wish I would have done it so my kids could have seen what I was doing every day. Mm. And, and that hit me, obviously, having two kids. When my kids grow up, I want them to see that dad wasn't just gone just to be gone. I was gone doing something uh, to build, to be great. And so whenever they get older, they can see that how much I, how hard I worked. Where do you think the league is when it comes to protecting players, more specifically quarterbacks? We're in a better spot than we were, if you say, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so um, the more and more technology we can get, um, I think that helps out a ton. I always go for, like, the most safe helmet you could possibly have, even if it doesn't look the coolest sometimes. Right. Um, and I might get a few jokes at me from the teammates. I'm like, man, I'm trying to protect myself for the long term. I've talked to professional golfers, NBA players. What is it like when you're in the zone? The game slows down. I can see my swing and the ball going to the hole. It's the size of a basket. But he throws from every angle. For the best quarterback in the league, what is that like? I think it's all from preparation. Um, I, I watch a lot of Kobe videos, and if you ever watch anything about Kobe, he always talks about the shots that he practices thousands and thousands of times to take once, to take twice. And so whenever those moments do come up during the game, it's not like it's the first time I've done it. I've prepared for that. And, I think that's why it slows down. You see the highlights and everybody's like, oh, it's, it's a highlight reel. It's being Superman out there, but they don't see that preparation. Mahomes' hard work and preparation doesn't stop when he steps off the football field. He's a staple in the Kansas City community with his foundation work and his philanthropy. You were on Time Magazine's Most Influential People of 2023. Now, on that list, President Biden, Supreme Court justices, Elon Musk, do you ever sit back and think to yourself, whoa, life has gotten pretty wild? No, I think about that all the time. <laughs> I want to be someone that the kids can look up to and say that, hey, I want to be like Patrick Mahomes, and I want parents to think that, hey, that's, that's a guy that I want my kid to be like. When yeah. I'm on TV or when I'm in the, in the spotlight, I try to show off the right example. I'm married. I got three kids, four brothers, big family. I got drafted in 03, and I just thought, oh, I'm going to go on this NFL journey by myself. And then I realized it's not really like that. It's everybody. It's not just on you. Mm -hmm. It's on friends. It's on family. Sometimes you have to answer for family. H how do you balance dealing with your brand and also dealing with the family? And what advice do you give to young players who just got drafted who really don't realize that it's not just you on this journey? 
I think it's, I mean, first off, with the people around you explaining that to them, um, that they have a new spotlight, even if they didn't necessarily want it. Um, and then just having great people around you. Um, I feel like I have a lot of great people around me and everyone that, that I kind of have in my circle is people that I, I truly love. And one of those people, uh, your wife, Brittany. He can't even walk. What are we doing? She is passionate. He thinks he's about to play a damn game. Has he lost his mind? She's locked in. I truly mean this when I say it. I think if I didn't have Brittany, I wouldn't be in the position I am now. I remember talking with him like, oh, like who's going to be our new quarterback for high school? And he said, well, I think I'm going to be. And I looked at him mm -hmm. like, what? Mm -hmm. You play quarterback? Maybe I'll just put my hand on my belly. Brittany and Patrick Mahomes met as teenagers in Texas before the fame, fortune, and scrutiny. I was not prepared for this. It's kind of hard to not, be prepared for this. Yeah. At such a young age, we were in love, and I loved him with all of my heart. But, you know, I didn't expect it to skyrocket this soon and us kind of just be thrown into the fire like this. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it, being thrown in the fire. You know, there's always a moment for girlfriends and wives where they realize, oh, I'm not just in the background anymore. Yeah. Like, did you have one of those, as we call it, welcome to the NFL moments where you're like, okay, all right, this is, this is yeah. bigger than I thought. When I started posting on Instagram, me screaming and getting rowdy in the suite, I think first time I did that, I got blown up and it's like, she's crazy. She's, you know, this is too much, but um, I ultimately learned that you don't have to share everything that you do in your life. What are you doing? As people look at this docu-series, what would you like them to take away after watching Quarterback? That he grinds. You got this. All year round, and you know, he is so much deserving of everything that he's won and done. What do you want your legacy to be? I don't always be remembered as a great quarterback, but remembered more as a better person. Mm. That's my goal is I want people to see um, the love that I have for the, the game of football, the love I have for my family, the love I have for being a role model. And I think if they see that and they remember me as that, I've done what I need to do in the game of football. So they were all glammed up because they were going to the actual premiere of Quarterback ah, um, right. at the Netflix um, studio. But, you know, I, I love Patrick Mahomes and Brittany for sitting down with me and being open and honest. One thing people don't know about Patrick is he trains with the team, also has a weightlifting coach, mm. a movement coach, and then, of course, he takes care of his body any way that he can. So when people see the greatness, they assume it's just natural. Yes. Maybe a little bit. Yeah. But he also adds to that athletic ability. But if you understand uh, injury, as I'm mm -hmm. sure you do, like the prevention is so much, no I mean, so much yeah. part of it, you know, conditioning your body so that you can prevent the injuries yeah. when yeah. they pound in on you mm -hmm. like that. Uh, I like how regular he seemed. He, he admitted to watching a lot of Kobe videos. <laughs> yeah. Like, chill dude. <laughs> the guy, like on his couch with the, you know. And, and as, a, as a former baseball player, you saw some similarities with how he throws the ball because he's a former baseball guy. He's, he's sidearming it like a shortstop. Uh, you know, his dad played in the big leagues. Yep. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, uh, two days for high school football are going to begin not too long from now if you're the quarterback and you throw like him the coach is going to be calling you to the sideline you're going to be getting chewed out that is yeah. not textbook but but, but when it works when you're great <laughs> when you're great the coach lets you get away with those things don't try that at high school level no doubt yeah if you have time to check out the documentary the docuseries on netflix it is amazing. I think it's the biggest window I've ever seen into what the journey of the NFL is really like. Just watch a minute of it, you'll be sucked in. It is yeah. really good. It's yep. a great interview. Thank you very much. And we do thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow in your feed and Monday through Friday on your local CBS stations starting at 7 a.m.
Hey, Prime members, you can listen to CBS Mornings on the go ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes Podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus. I'm CBS News correspondent Major Garrett, host of the podcast Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen. During the Cold War, FBI agent Robert Hansen traded classified secrets to the Kremlin in exchange for cash and jewels. In the podcast, you'll hear from Hansen's closest friends, family members, victims, and colleagues for the most comprehensive telling of who Robert Hansen really was. Binge the entire series now. Agent of Betrayal, The Double Life of Robert Hansen is available on the Wondery app, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.